Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service and the occasional interview or ministry resource. We hope you'll subscribe. Now, here's today's message. Today's scripture reading is taken from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So, again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by your believing what you have heard? So, also, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Amen. Uh, Good morning again and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. You're all idiots. Uh, I don't normally start sermons that way, but Paul seems to have done that here in Galatians 3 and It sure does grab your attention doing it. Um, What's going on here is he's done dancing around. The gloves are off. He's finally addressing the Galatians in 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 as stark a reality as possible. One commentary I read uh, paraphrased this first verse this way. Oh, you dear Galatian idiots. Surely you can't be so idiotic. That's what he's saying. He says, you foolish Galatians. And then he launches into... An argument slash tirade that gets, I think, at the heart of and core nature of what it means to be a Christian. But I think this actually applies to us as well today. I think as New Yorkers, we can kind of get smug with sort of our own self-satisfaction. Um, and, I, there, and yet we have so many inconsistencies with our modern narrative of life. Let me give you a couple. One, uh, most of us live a life that suffering can take away our meaning. And what I mean by that is that our identities are constructed on things, on physical traits, material isms that will vanish and leave us in pieces. Furthermore, uh, secondly, we don't know how to do identity today. And I think we're, we're seeing these in, in the various cross pressures and tensions in society. We don't know how to do identity without at some level crushing or excluding somebody else's identity. We're talking about race, we're talking about politics, we're talking about social economic classes. They're in tension. 
I mean, you can go to the trivial, right? Even in our sports teams, Red Sox versus Yankees, we don't know how to do that. We can't pull ourselves up without pushing other people down. Thirdly, uh, the cultural narratives we're told to just hold on to and and, uh, embellish. Freedom, love, right? New Yorkers, we love the concept of freedom and love, and yet we have no idea how to have a freedom that doesn't destroy love. Because if love is a commitment through thick and thin, and freedom is basically having no constraints on us, those two things are diametrically opposed. That you can't have freedom from all constraints and have love, which by definition means to constrain yourself to someone or something. And so I think the list of inconsistencies, they move on. And so Paul says, you foolish Galatians. But we could also say to ourselves, we, we foolish New Yorkers. They thought they understood the gospel and they didn't. We thought that we have it all put together and we don't. And so I think it it pushes us back into this text and say, okay, what's going on here? Because Paul is saying, you have to get this. I want you to understand what gospel means. And we say every week, that word is thrown around too much in church without any kind of explanation. So here's where we, this this is it. Paul says in three ways, here's what gospel is. It's gospel birth, gospel growth, gospel greatness. All right, we're gonna look at what it is and how to get gospel birth, gospel growth, and gospel greatness. Now first, gospel birth. This this is the root of Paul's angst. And here's the issue. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And his issue is this, is that it seems like you've seen Jesus, he's been clearly portrayed, but there's a problem. The word um, portrayed here is the Greek word for advertising. It's what you would say when you'd put up a public notice and you wanted everybody to see. And so Paul is saying, hey, I've done that for you. I've preached the gospel. I've taught you it, which I find actually very striking that he equates um, when you publicly have seen Christ on display, his preaching, the message of Jesus is the same thing as having it clearly portrayed. And if you want to feel kind of snarky today, you can say, well, when Michael preaches, I don't think it's very clearly portrayed. Jesus is not clearly portrayed for me. And that might be true because the word portrayed here means to have a vivid understanding. It means to have a graphic experience. That means it's not enough. There's something that about Jesus that is not just content. That Jesus has to be real to you. So I don't care if you've called yourself a Christian your, your whole life. If you haven't experienced vividly Jesus, not just as a teacher, not just as somebody with precepts, but as crucified, then the, the question is, is have you really seen him? Uh, of course, a lot of people then push back here and say, okay, fine, Michael, then what would it look like to vividly see Jesus portrayed? Well, the next verse, he tells us. He says, did you receive the Spirit? It's through the Spirit that you get this. And notice this isn't spirit as in some sort of fuzzy, phantom, uh, quasi-existential you know, uh, thing that happens in you. The word spirit here is capitalized. This is a personal pronoun. This is the nature of God residing in you. In other words, gospel birth happens when a Christian hears the message of Jesus crucified, and not just that, it grips your heart. 
That it's not enough to just know the story. In fact, there's a lot of non-religious, non-Christians out there that know the story of Christianity and they don't believe. There's also a lot of religious people that actually, I would say, they do believe intellectually, but that's not what makes you a Christian. A Christian is someone who doesn't just agree. Please don't sit here this morning and just nod your head and go, mm, yeah, that's good, I agree, intellectual assent. A Christian is somebody in whom, with whom, to whom Jesus, dying on the cross, crucified, is an active power in your life. That only come, and it says here, that only comes by the Spirit. Uh, I grew up here in New York City, um, and uh, I, I grew up biking everywhere all over New York City, long before there was this thing called a bike lane. Uh, and I used to do it uh, without my helmet because it's not against the law to do so. Um, anyway, before I move on, um, before, before you could wait, uh, I also, in college, I used to work in London, also even after college, in East London with the public housing there. There's, there's a lot of Bangladeshi Muslims, some of the poorest people of the world. They live in these, these housing communities and with um, London City Mission, I would help provide uh, English classes and various other social services. And um, I became good friends with the director there. A couple years later on social media, I saw that he was in the hospital. And so I texted him and I said, hey, are you, are you okay? What happened? And he said he was biking about a couple hundred feet from his home and a car hit him. And he wasn't wearing his helmet. And he's like, I'm okay, I'm alive, but hey, do you want to you see a picture of my face? And when somebody texts you, do you want to see a picture of my face? You can't say no. <laughs> you say, okay, I'll, sure, send me the picture. And when that picture came in, I mean, he had stitches all over his face. It was black and blue. There was blood everywhere. He had bandages, bandages all around him. He looked like a zombie. And right after that, that, that same day, I put my helmet on. And for, for days, I wore that helmet every single day. Now, why is that? Did I all of a sudden have a better you know, cognitive understanding about the risks of biking in New York City? No. Had I processed the, 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 the statistics and the risks in a, in a different way? No. I, 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 it, nothing cognitively changed. It wasn't that I got new information, but the information was now new. That's the difference, is that it had become alive, it become Real, literally, I saw with my eyes something that I, I had maybe abstractly known in my head. That the truth was always there, but it hadn't become real to my heart. And so Paul is saying here, these truths of the gospel have to move from an abstraction into an experience. This is why Jonathan Edwards very famously said, hey, honey, you can know intellectually honey is sweet. You can know the glycemic properties of honey. You can have measured it and studied it, but it's very different. When you put a drop of that honey on your tongue, you've experienced it. Now you know it. There's knowing and there's known. And so what John the Numbers is trying to say is that that means there's more to Jesus than just content. It's good that you listen to a sermon online. You know what? You can listen to this sermon online if you really want to. You can come to, a lot of you come to church to make it for the sermon but when you miss the singing, when you consistently come late to the rest of the service, through, you're missing the prayers, you're missing the singing, you're missing all the scripture that goes on, you're actually missing the ways of moving the content into your heart. So people always complain. They're like, oh, I, you know, I believe in God, I just don't feel his presence. But 
I think the problem is, is that we've been trained to be consumers of content. We listen to podcasts, we read, we, we study, but that's not how you ultimately experience. That's why the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's why it's not just good enough to come to worship. Worship is taking a truth and making it the truth. And it's multifaceted, it's multi-sensory. It's singing, praying, thinking, acting, relating to other images of God around you. And it's, it's all part of it. It's, it's on Sunday, but it's all throughout the rest of the week. It's, it's practice and meditative, informative. That's why, look, look at the next verse, verse four. Say, hey, are you that foolish? Verse three. But he says, hey, have you experienced, haven't you experienced this, the God in your life? To really have gospel birth then, a Christian is not one who just says, I know the precepts of, of the faith. Many people know the precepts of the faith. They, they, they can recite them. I grew up, uh, as a, I was a Boy Scout. I actually was an Eagle Scout. I can um, recite the Scout law. Ready? A Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. I'll say it again. A Scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Now, that's, those are great precepts. That doesn't mean I'm those things. You're like, no, I know. No, it, it, they just stay in your head that doesn't, hasn't actually moved into my life. I'm, whatever you're hearing right now, I'm not saying just get my content. Just get the content of Jesus. Personally, I grew up in a Christian home. I knew all the concepts. I got it, but it actually hadn't gotten me. In the same way, I think it, it, was, it was actually only later on when I got to college, I started asking questions. I started becoming dissatisfied with the answers that I was hearing. I was like, wait, wait, wait. So there's nothing in life that eventually is gonna be taken away from me? That suffering, pain, and death won't destroy? I was like, wait, wait, wait. Um, if I wanna be free from all constraints, the, you know, culture is telling me, just be free, be who I wanna be. But then I also want unconditional love. And I can't have both of those at the same time. Society wants both, right? To be unconditionally loved, but then to have no conditions on you. And that just doesn't work. So, so what really matters? If, I, if you get agitated and dissatisfied with the other answers that are out there, then you realize, you start looking, you try to find the spirit, and you realize, no, 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 the spirit has been trying to find you. And so Paul is questioning here because he wants to ask us, he wants to ask us this, do you, do you see not just Christ crucified, but two more words, Christ crucified for you? Because the word crucified here in the Greek, it's in the perfect tense, and we don't really have that in English. It, 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 the, the more literal translation is having been crucified. It denotes a, a past action that has a, still a present continuing effect on your life. That you don't just get it once, but um, it, it's moving into you. So please don't just sit here and go, I want more content about Jesus. That's not this. And don't say, oh, I want, even if you say, oh, I want God to be more important, you know, Jesus to be more important in my life. That's like asking a king to serve you. Whatever it is, if, if, if you're like, well, if, Michael, if I do what you're saying, I might be too Christian. But that's not, Je- that's not having Jesus as a power, that's, that's Jesus as a product. Put a little bit of product on, take a little bit of product off. That's not this. A power moves in you, you don't move it. That's gospel birth. 
At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and other members of our church community. If you have questions about today's message, send an email to lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our Sunday worship service. Now, here's the remainder of today's teaching. That's what Paul wants you to get. So, first, gospel birth. Secondly, gospel growth. When Paul says, have you seen Jesus crucified for you? It's not just the beginnings of Christianity. Right? It's not being a Christian. Oh, but it's also the basis of all growth in Christianity. Look at, the, at verse 3 again. In verse 3, it says, are you so foolish? By the beginnings, by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Hey, you started that way into Christianity was by the Spirit, but are you now trying to use the works of the law? Are you trying to grow through the flesh? It doesn't work that way. The way into Christian life is the same as the way on in Christian life. I think a lot of times the default here, this is, this is the content again. Christians know that Jesus forgives. He gives you grace, but now it's up to me to live the right way. That he might have forgiven me of my past. I have this clean slate, but now it's up to me. There's works for me to do. But Paul is saying God's law can't make you grow. Um, I don't know, there's been a lot of stories coming out, and they're gonna, you're going to see a lot more of these. They're in the Wall Street Journal. They're in New York Times. It's, it's across all spectrums of reportage that DNA testing is, is taking men and women who have been in prison for decades, and they're being released because the DNA evidence is proving that they're innocent. A couple months ago, I saw an article about two men. They, they had been in prison for 30 years. One was on death row, one was, was, um, was going to have life imprisoned, it, be imprisoned. And the DNA evidence proves it wasn't them. And so now they're free. And if you read these articles, man, there's just such mixed emotions. You're, you're like, this is good, this is good, finally. And then at the same time, you're like, wait. Our, our criminal justice system has locked away innocent people. Some scholars estimate that it's in the tens of thousands of men and women that have been locked up wrongly. And if you start going after it, it just gets, kind of gets you mad that these men were free in a cosmic sense, but they can never get now back what was taken from them. They didn't lose years. They lost decades. And psychologically, all the statistics are coming back that they're, 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 they're actually still imprisoned after they leave. They can't change the habits. They can't change what, what, how they've been formed in those spaces. And so even though they, that truly in the eyes of God, they're not guilty, in the eyes of the state, they were. That they were not condemned in his eyes, but they were condemned in our eyes. And I think there's actually a lot of people in this room, the very same thing is actually happening to you. That Paul says in this text that you are free in Christ. That you're actually not condemned before his eyes. The word justify shows up here. And in the chapter before, it means to be not guilty in God's eyes. But if that's true, then if we're not guilty in his eyes, then why are we living life as if we're still imprisoned? We're living life still, psychologically, even though we've been freed, as if we're still actually imprisoned. It's through the, it's through the works and use of the law. That day in and day out, we're still doing this. And see, Paul is saying, who's, who's condemning you? It's not God. 
It's, it's, it's yourself. You've, you've put yourself under the law, so stop trying to use it because you're actually forgetting that you're free. Because if Christ is crucified for you, go back to last week. Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That he loved me and gave himself for me. That's in chapter two. That means Jesus lived the life you should have lived and he died the death that you should have died, which means now there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a nice idea, Mike. But like we said last, in the last point, you have to take that idea and it has to move into your life as a power. And that means we need to start realizing that the fears and the bad habits and the workaholism and the porn issue and, the, and, the, and, and the, all the things that you're doing that you're throwing yourself into right now, it's not because you don't already believe in God. A lot of you do. But what ends up happening is that when you go to him and say, God, I have an anger problem, please take it away. That's, that's like half, that's half the point. Because you've admitted it, but you have to go deeper. You have to ask, why do I get angry? And then when I do get angry, what is being threatened that's being taken away from me that I feel like I need? What is that? You need to ask, you you have to say, why do I go to porn when I'm depressed? Why do I throw myself into work for identity? Because ultimately, there's only two options on the table. Ultimately, you're going to either save yourself or let him save you. You're going to live for that thing or let him live for you. Because if you go deeper, you can go, look at the the storylines. Why are we always looking for Prince Charming? Why is it that you know, Beauty and the Beast, we're, we're the beast looking for that beauty. You have Chariots of Fire, you have uh, Harold Abrams in it, where he, in this movie, he's trying to win the Olympic gold, and he's saying, why am I running? I have 10 seconds every time I run the 100-meter dash to justify my existence. That's us. Right? Rocky says to Adrian, right, why do I have to get into the ring and fight Apollo Creed? Because I need to go 15 rounds, and if I do that, and I don't get knocked out, then I can go the distance. Why? So I know I'm not a bum. That's what he says. That the deep need to prove oneself, it's this achievement, it's this, it's this love relationship, it's, the, it's these drives pushing us. And if we follow the trail of emotions, the sadness, the anxiety, the, the f- fear, the bitterness, follow the emotions down the trail. And what you'll see often that's what's causing those things, it's because something that you were hoping to save you is either under threat or not working at all. That's what Paul is saying is the works of the law. That's the effects of it. Now be careful. I'm not saying emotions are bad. I'm saying actually they're often the signs of showing you what's actually really happening underneath. Because something is being threatened. And I'm bringing this up because I can stand up here, folks, every single Sunday and, and until I'm blue in the face, I can say to you, make Jesus the lover of your life. But if something else is more real to you than, than Jesus' realness, it won't matter. It's that simple. That there re- I can say there really is a handsome prince out there for you. There, you really, there really is a beauty for you. There really is somebody who will go into the ring of life and fight for you. It's Jesus Christ crucified but you have to not only have that clearly portrayed, the spirit needs to move that into your heart. And that's where gospel growth comes. It's not just at the beginning of your faith, it's in the midst of your faith. Where you turn to him and say, I, I have believed, but I, help my unbelief. I believe, I actually, you know, I need you now even more than when I first believed. That's gospel growth. That's the essence of it when you get there. Now, last point. 
gospel greatness. Paul, like a good preacher, tries to show his people what he means, and he goes to an example. He says, in, uh, he says so also Abraham believed, and God credited him as righteousness. This is, uh, I think, <clears throat> later down in our passage. Verse 8, now all nations will be blessed through you. See, Paul is quoting Genesis 12 there, but also Genesis 15. From Abraham's life, he's saying, hey, hey, I'm saying all this, but don't take my word for it. Look at Abraham's life. So for us to really understand Galatians 3, you have to look at Genesis 15. And look at uh, first here in, in um, Galatians 3, 6. It says, so also Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is a, this is a huge statement. It wasn't his works. It wasn't his niceness. It wasn't anything inside of him. It was his faith. And faith is one of those pseudo words that's thrown around. It, it Biblically, it just means trust. At the end of the day, where was his trust? Go back to Genesis 15, and he didn't know if he could trust God. It's what we often say to ourselves. We say, God, how do I know I can trust you? How do I know you're good? And God says, all right, you wanna know? Take a bunch of animals, cut them in half, and spread them apart. And back then, they didn't have written contracts. They didn't, they didn't have the paper to do it. The way they made promises to each other is they cut animals in half, moved them to the sides, and both parties, upon agreement of whatever transaction they were going to make, they walked between the pieces. Because what they were trying to do is it was a giant depiction of if I break my promise, let me be torn in two like these animals were torn in two. Let me be broken the way that they were broken. And so Abraham probably thought, oh, okay, the way I'm going to know God is you know, good is he's going to fulfill his end of the bargain. I need to fulfill my end of the bargain, so I need to walk between the pieces, and so I need to love God, and I need to obey and do all his commands. And then he'll fulfill his end of the agreement. And then what amazed Abraham, this is what ended up happening. Sunset, smoking fire pot comes, depicting the nature of God, and walks between the two halves of all the animals back and forth, while Abraham sits on the side. And so God was essentially saying this to Abraham. He said, Abraham, if I mess up, if I don't protect you the way I'm supposed to protect you, if I don't love you the way I'm supposed to love you, if I don't care for you, let me be torn in two. But because Abraham wasn't in, in that actual ritual and, and tradition, God was saying to Abraham, and by the way, when you fail, not if, when you don't love me the way you should love me, when you don't obey the way you should obey, when you don't care the way that you should care, let me be torn in two as well. That's unconditional grace. Abraham could have faith, he could have trust in God because he knew God was good and he knew it was good because he vowed that to be torn in two for you. And that's why Abraham could go out. He could leave the comforts of his own family, he could move to people that didn't love him, didn't care about him, and serve and care. It's the same reason why you and I can live in New York in uncertain times, not knowing where we will go or what we will do and how to live. Right? That's what's actually being told here. I, because God says you can trust me because I will sooner divide myself than let you be divided. I will sooner end myself than let you be ended cosmically. And so a lot of you push back and say, okay, fine, I, I like that, but Michael, I don't know if I have enough faith. I don't know if I have enough trust. How do I know if I have enough faith and trust? Well, the good news is it's, it's not the amount of your faith. 
You can walk out of here right now and say, I have faith I can fly. And you can have amazing faith that you can fly and you can jump and you'll land smack on your face because the amount of your faith is not the point. It's the object of your faith. What your faith is in, is it strong enough? Can it hold you? Will it keep you up? And there is nothing more solid than the person of Jesus Christ. He died so that you can live. And if so, if you're wondering how much faith, Michael, is needed for salvation, it's whatever amount that leads you to say, thee, not me. It's whatever amount that takes to say, not what I do, but what he did. Let Christ crucified Move into your life. And Paul's saying, if you do, even if you imperfectly believe that, you will be a child of Abraham. This is verse seven. And if you hold that truth in you, then that assurance of his love grows. I quote this uh, quote a lot. I love Harry Potter. There's a whole section of Harry Potter where that elf, uh, house elf Dobby, he, um, Harry gives him an article of clothing, clothing and frees him from his enslavement. And flabbergasted, what, it, what Dobby says is this. He says, Dobby has heard of your greatness, but your goodness, Dobby never knew. Most of us in this room know about God's grace, greatness. We've sung about him, but do you know of his goodness? Because you, you only know of his goodness if you look at the cross. You look what he went through for you. And the reason why we lack assurance is because we're not sure. But, but here it is in Genesis 15, written even before the conception of Jesus... In the heart of God was the one who was willing to be torn in two for you. And when you experience and when you taste that, no cloud can dim that sun. No cold could wipe away the warmth of his love. Abraham got assurance that he was looking for. You and I, folks, we can't have assurance by just knowing God is real. You have to know God is good. And you know that he's good is by experiencing his goodness vividly in the person of Jesus that if you fail him, he won't fail you. And if you make that your assurance, you know what happens? It can turn you into a person of greatness. You can rest in that promise. Here's how it works. Is you will be humbled. So many people in this town, including ourselves, often we can drink the Kool-Aid of our own self-satisfaction. When you know that God had to die for you, in the person of Jesus. I don't, no matter what accolades, no matter how great of accomplishments that you might achieve, you'll never actually believe that story. You'll never take yourself that seriously again. And at the same time, you'll be bolder than ever before because you know that you can't fail him in any way that'll make him lose his love for you. And that empowers you. Now you can serve in ways that you couldn't serve before. Now you, you want to move towards people who might be draining and hard to be with. Now you can go out into the cracks and crevices of where society is fracturing. And instead of just the self-protection mode of I need, I need to keep myself away, you can move into other people's lives because he's moved into yours. And you know what the worst thing could possibly happen? I try to say this sometimes to my girls when they're scared and afraid. It doesn't really work, but I try to say... What's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst? I mean, probably shouldn't do this with kids, but what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? Death, but now death can only bring new life. It doesn't work with kids, but it can work with you. Because if you can make the, if, if, here it is. If he can make this promise to Abraham thousands of years ago without actually the concept of how, how to work it out through the person of Jesus, 
if he could actually believe and say God is good, but we know Jesus and have experienced him, then how much more will we be able to move out? One of my favorite hymns goes like this. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, canst thou repine? Let's pray this passage into our life. Like Abraham, we can be then sent back out into the world in power, in love, because you know nothing can stop his love for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes it's harsh, you foolish Galatians. Sometimes we read things and it's, it's, we need to be woken up. We have our rhythms, we have the ways we normally kind of self-soothe to kind of make it. Those practices work in, here and there and we should keep them up. Help us to see that ultimate rest doesn't come unless we kind of put our deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Help us to put that deadly doing down, whatever it might be. It could be destructive practices, it could be ones that the world says are good, but we are, the way we're wielding them leads to death, not life. We're woefully inconsistent, and we, we're actually now, we have paradigms and culture that lets us live in that inconsistency. Yep, I'm, I'm a contradiction. And Father, we're so tired from it. We're tired from all the possibilities. We're tired from all the things that are required of us. Help us to see what you've done for us. And we can live in that space. It will revitalize our hearts and our congregation and our, and our friendships. And we will move out in love and serve other people. Help us do this now and always, we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our church's podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, and we invite you to join us for worship on Sunday. We're located at the corner of West 64th Street and Central Park West. More details can be found on our website, lincolnsquare.redeemer.com. Thanks again for listening to the LSQ Podcast.